0: Okay, so here we go, coming to our teaching this morning. As we've been looking at living the Christian life, we've come to the issue of family relationships and instruction to wives, husbands, children, parents, since all of these roles are in the context of marriage and family. As I pointed out, we're, we're just sort of taking some time here to do um, a series within a series. Of course, we're still making our way through the epistle to the Ephesians, but um, this section has to do with family. So we're, we're doing a series within a series. Last week, as many of you know, we, we looked at marriage in, in just the general sense. We looked at the the, the subject of marriage. We saw that marriage uh, originated with God. We saw uh, that God has a specific purpose in marriage. And we also looked at how it is that we might uh, glorify God in our marriages. So today we come to a consideration of the specific roles within marriage, beginning today with the wives. So Paul starts here in the 22nd verse. Uh, With these words, um, wives, be submissive to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, before we actually get in and and break down the text, before we consider the details of the command, I want to remind you that these instructions... uh, to both wives and husbands, are said by Paul to be a picture of something bigger. And I think that this is really the place that we have to start. Because as many of you will agree, the verses that we're going to look at over the next few weeks are some of the most challenging verses in all of scripture, in as much as they're telling us how to live in the context of the marital relationship, and to to some extent, we look at some of it and say, "Oh, you know, this is tough. This is challenging. This is hard." So, I think though it will help us as we consider these commands. It will help us to keep the bigger picture in mind. Remember, these things are ultimately a picture of Christ and the church. So it's important to remember, wives, I'll address you first because that's where we start today, but it's important to remember that what you are doing when you submit to your husband is a living illustration of how the church relates to the Lord. And likewise, husbands, what you're doing when you love your wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church, that is as well, a living illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. This should be the lens through which we see and understand these commands. If we see it this way, if we take it uh, out of the the realm of just my own personal marital experience, that's, of course, important, but we've got to see it in the, the larger light of the gospel here. And I think if we do that, I think it will be helpful when we are personally challenged by these commands to be able to go back and remember, wait a second, this isn't just simply about um, a wife submitting to her husband. This isn't simply about the husband loving and cherishing his wife. It's about something greater than that. It's about Christ and the church. So, the word submit, it's an evil word to some. <laughs> the word itself was often used in a military context. And it simply means to place oneself under the authority of another as in subordination to a superior officer. Now, this, this word itself and this command here to the wives has been so uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied uh, over the long history of the church. So it's important that we really consider what's being said here today. So when, when Paul says to the wife, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, does this mean that women are spiritually or mentally inferior to men? The answer is obviously no. It doesn't mean that at all. But think about a few things here with me on this. Uh, Is Jesus inferior to God the Father because he submits to him? The answer is no. We know the biblical teaching of the equality of the Father and the Son, yet Jesus is in a subservient role to the Father, Uh, Are church members inferior to church elders because they are uh, called to submit to them? Again, the answer is no. It's not a matter of um, inferiority. It's not a matter of uh, supremacy. It's a matter of order. God is a God of order. In a military situation, is a sergeant an inferior human being because he is subject to his captain? No, of course not. Neither is the wife inferior to the husband. Submission is part of God's plan. This is the way life works according to the uh, one who uh, all life originates from, according to God. So man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally, in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying way. The wife's call to submit shows the biblical principle of male headship, which is modeled, as we read here in the text, after Christ, the head of the church. So remember that term, uh, male headship. Male headship, the antithesis of male headship is male dominance. And this is where the confusion has come in sometimes. Male dominance is the assertion of man's will over the woman's will, heedless of her spiritual equality, her rights, and her value, the Bible does not teach or condone in any way male dominance. See, that's, that's where the confusion has come in. And some people have interpreted the very command uh, for the woman to submit to the man as um, giving the, the man, a position of dominance over the woman. But the Bible does not teach that. It does not condone that in any way. As a matter of fact, the teaching of the New Testament flew right in the face uh, of the views generally held at the time. So we don't realize it so much today, but the New Testament was truly the, the most liberating factor in the history of women, and I'll show you that in just a moment. But as we go back and we look at the, the context at the time, uh, whether it was the Jews or whether it was the Greeks or whether it was the Romans, uh, in, in each case, culturally, the attitude toward women was really more like one of um, male dominance over women. Take the Jews, for example. To the rabbis, and they were the... You know, spiritual instructors of the Jews, uh, to the rabbis, women were servants. In fact, the rabbis taught the men to pray like this, God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Amen. That was a prayer. That was a rabbinically <laughs> uh, structured prayer. They also said things like this. He who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. They said, one is not so much as to greet a woman publicly. They said this, let the words of the law be burned rather than committed to a woman. And then a really extreme statement. If a man teaches his daughter the law, it was though he taught her lechery. So this is a completely distorted perspective on women coming from the Jewish culture uh, of the time. Now, the Greeks were absolutely um, in the same kind of a situation. One Athenian orator and statesman said this, We have courtesans, a courtesan was a high-class prostitute, Uh, for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and being faithful guardians for our household affairs. Nothing different among the Romans. According to Roman law, a man had absolute power over his wife and all her possessions. He could divorce her at any time for any offense whatsoever, He had full authority to chastise his wife, and in some cases, even to kill her. To kill his wife for a non-adulterous offense, the husband ordinarily required the consent of an extended family tribunal, but in the case of adultery, no such consent was necessary. In Roman culture, a woman was essentially the slave of a man's lower passions. Now, listen, similar perspectives on women are still prevalent today in Islamic, Hindu, Buddhist, and animist cultures. Modern anthropologists and sociologists who blame Christianity for the oppression of women are either ignorant of the facts or they are guilty of historical revisionism. You see, it, it, you, can't, you can't blame Christianity. Now, certainly, occasionally, here and there, you've got uh, a church, maybe a, a movement within the church, or uh, certainly individuals who are uh, practicing more of a male dominance, but, it, but that's never been the view of Scripture. The Bible elevates women to a most honorable place, and a wife submitting to her husband is God's good plan for women. Now, some of you might argue, of course, you're going to say that because you are a man. (laughs) I I thought about having Cheryl teach this today. And, of course, the Bible says that because the Bible uh, is the byproduct, they say, of a male-dominated culture. And it's true that the Bible was written in the context, to a large degree, of a male-dominated culture, but this is where we see the radical difference between the Bible's teaching about women and the views universally held at the time. Jesus and his apostles radically broke with the traditions of their day regarding women. That's the facts. Jesus publicly associated with women. We see that in the gospels. Remember what the rabbi said, a man could could not even be seen uh, in public with a woman. Jesus was seen in public with women. He he publicly uh, associated with them. Not only that, he called women to be his disciples and allowed them to serve in the ministry along with him. And as you read through the Gospels, you find these references to these various women that were there. And in some cases, they were actually, even as Jesus would travel from place to place, there, those certain groups of women traveled along with them. As a matter of fact, it was women who were first entrusted with the message of the resurrection. And this is radical, especially when you consider that in these days, a woman could not testify in court. A woman's testimony was absolutely worthless. But Jesus, the first people that he commissions to go tell about his resurrection are the women. Go tell Peter and my disciples. He speaks that word to women. So you see, all of this was about as counter-cultural as you could get. Even Paul, who is often vilified as a sexist oppressor, he's the one who penned these words. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So these words went entirely against the cultural grain. Paul referred also to certain women in his writings, he referred to certain women as his fellow workers in Christ. So all of this was revolutionary in those times. As one historian put it, the birth of Jesus Christ was the turning point in the history of women. So, with that as a background, with that as our foundational understanding, now let's come back to the command. Wives, submit to your own husbands. So we've seen the the word submit is um, often used in a military context, to come under the authority. But I want you to notice, wives are not called to submit to anyone else's husband. They're not called to submit to men in general simply called, if they're married, to submit to their own husband. Now, you know this. We live in a climate where the idea of submission, the submission of a wife to her husband, is not only looked down upon, but in some cases, it is openly ridiculed. In some cases, it is seen as some radical, uh, radically outdated, Way of thinking. I remember a few years ago there was. It was. I don't know if it was a presidential election period or midterms or whatever. But there was there was somebody that was running for office, and they. um, I think the particular person was a Christian, and had, had spoken with his wife on some occasion somewhere, and they had spoken on the the subject of marital relations, and the idea of submission had come up. And, um, boy, the media just got a hold of that. And they were like, can you believe it? This guy actually thinks women, this guy actually thinks his wife should submit to him. Well, from their perspective, that was reason enough not to vote for him. You know, anybody who would think that is obviously completely out of touch with reality. So that's a perspective that we certainly have in the culture today but we also have this perspective to some degree in the church today. There's been an infiltration of this radical feminist kind of theology that that has come into the church. And again, you have, um, throughout the long history of the church, you, you do have seasons where the church has not conformed to the biblical ideal. So you've had times where there, there has been more of an oppressive kind of an approach to women. But then usually what you get is rather than a balancing out of things, you usually get another extreme put it, and that's what we see with uh, uh, theological feminism. So women, this is what you need to understand. This command is not outdated or sexist. Uh, sexist. It's, it's God's will for the wife. This is God's will. And when we understand that it's God's will, which would naturally mean it's good because God doesn't will bad things. If we get it on that level, then it's going to make it so much more palatable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make it a, a good thing instead of seen as a negative thing. So here are a few questions, though, practical questions. So wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, a woman asked, well, what if I disagree with his decisions? Well, listen, if you didn't disagree, then there would be no need to submit. Submission, <laughs> the, the only... The only time submission is necessary is when there's a disagreement. So this is where submission comes in. It's where you would have a difference of perhaps opinion or something like that. But you're coming under the authority of somebody else. So unless agreeing with your husband's decision would lead you into sin, you are to follow his lead and trust God. That's what submission is. You're putting yourself under the authority of someone else. Now, another question that has been asked is what if my husband is an unbeliever? Now, some have thought if your husband is an unbeliever, then automatically this this, uh, command has no uh, application because God certainly would not want me to be submitting to an unbeliever. But Peter said in 1 Peter 3, one, He said, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. Now, he's talking about the situation where a woman would be married to an unbelieving man. He doesn't obey the word. But even there, he says, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wife. So again, unless your husband is asking you to do something sinful, you are to submit to him. But notice what Paul says here also. He says, as unto the Lord. So you see, this is how you do it. You have to sometimes look past your husband because you disagree. You don't like this thing, this idea, this direction, whatever it is, but you do it as unto the Lord. You know, there are things, and I would imagine that you've discovered this already. You will if you haven't yet. But you know, there are things that God will require us to do as Christians that we don't necessarily like. We don't necessarily want to, you know, just purely from the standpoint of, of our flesh. But we do it as unto the Lord. You know, there are, there are people that I might say, well, you know, I don't want to forgive that person. That person's really hurt me, that person's been uh, cruel and hateful. And and they've really gone out of their way to make my life miserable. I don't want to forgive that person. But the Lord says, well, I want you to. I'm calling you to. So even though I might not want to do that as unto the Lord, I do it because I want to please him. And I know in the end that what he wants me to do is the right thing. So in some senses, it's, it's like that in the marital relationship there are times when you, you have to look beyond your husband and you have to look to the Lord and you have to say, okay, uh, Lord, I'm going to do this as unto you. And I'm going to do this because of the bigger picture that I'm, I'm a representative, the woman uh, would say, I'm a representative of the church. This is how the church responds to the Lord. So I'm, I'm going to do it on that basis. Now, Paul here in the context, he talks about the headship of Christ So Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And so likewise, the husband is the head of the wife. So as we go back, and Paul does here in the passage, as I pointed out previously, he takes us back to Genesis. He takes us back to the beginning. He takes us back to God's uh, original plan. And there, of course, we have Adam and Eve. And we see the order. Man was made first, and then the woman comes after that. And we see there that the woman was made from and for the man. And we also read in Genesis that the male and female together, they are together collectively referred to as man, not as woman. So again, it's a matter of order. It's a matter of order. It's a matter of following God's order. Of things. And a marriage will be dysfunctional if we refuse to follow the order. So uh, when a woman is trying to lead in the relationship, it doesn't work simply because it was not made to work that way. See, there are things that are made to work a certain way. And if you try to do them differently, they don't work. And this is one of those cases. But again, let me just restate this this isn't a matter of uh, any kind of superiority. It's just like a, a captain of a of a sports team. The captain on the team isn't a superior person to the other players. You just have to have somebody who can call the play in the huddle. And so it's, it's a similar kind of a thing. Now, I want to take a moment and just kind of make this a little bit personal. Now, um, I'm married to Cheryl. Most of you know that. And um, Cheryl is, as Ken Sutton would say, a force of nature. (laughs) You know, my wife is super smart. Um, You know, she's, she's very dynamic. She's very strong. She's a very strong woman, and um, yet, you know, the reality is she doesn't really have a problem with submission because, you know, submission, again, it's not dominance. It's not, I'm not, I don't go home and, you know, pull out my whip and start cracking it and telling her, you know, do this and get that. Once in a while, I do that, uh, you know, (laughs) jokingly. But, you know, not saying that we have like the perfect marital situation, but what I want to do is just express that, you know, we, we are doing what God says, but it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing. And submission, again, doesn't mean that I never consult her. I consult her quite often. I include her in almost everything. I will ask her advice. I will ask her counsel. Sometimes uh, I won't know what to do. So I'm going to go to her and say, what do you think? And many times I'm going to actually go with her advice. That's good advice. I'm going to take it. Occasionally she'll come to me and say, I think this, that, the other thing. And I'll say, okay, great, but I don't agree. And we're not going to do it like that. And okay, that's, but you know, that that's relatively rare, quite honestly. So I'm just trying to give you a picture of and, and I think we're doing it right. I think we're doing it the way the Bible says to do it. But it's not this oppressive thing. And I'm, I'm saying this because I think whenever the term even comes up, whenever we hear this term, uh, you know, why submit to your husbands, immediately there's this, this thought of oppression. There's this thought of suppression. But it's not that at all. Remember, God made us. He saw that the loneliness of man was not good. It's a complementary thing. If I'm not allowing my wife to compliment me, if I'm not allowing her to have input into our relationship, then I'm not doing what God intended when he created the woman. So there's going to be this mutual thing where we're cooperating together, we're working together. But, you know, in certain cases, there's just going to be that that final point where I am the one who's called to make the final decision. And we've had a few occasions in our Lives together, where, um, you know, she thought we should go in one direction. I thought we should go in the other direction. And at the end, I just made the call this is what we're going to do. She didn't necessarily like it, but she said, you know what? I'm going to do it because this is what God told me to do. And if we crash and burn, it's your fault. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and she's willing to trust God with that. So that's. No, but you know, seriously. um, I'm I'm just trying to express. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. And she would say it's a good thing. And so. The biblical picture. Is a beautiful picture. It's not about oppression. It's not about control. It's not about dominance. And if as a man, if you've thought that is what this means, you are greatly mistaken. And we'll get to that over the next couple of weeks when we look at the high call and the command that God gives to men. And what you see here is, you know, remember, you can't take these passages out of their context and isolate them. They're... Yes, it starts with wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, but you have to carry on with the passage. It doesn't stop there. It it says, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And my wife has told me many times, and I can just see it in just the daily uh, outworkings of our relationship together, when she has that confidence that I love her and when I'm operating from that position of loving her as Christ loved the church. Submission is the most natural thing. It just comes completely naturally. You know, the problem that often occurs and the reason why we sometimes have problems is because we fail to focus our attention on what we are directed to do and we tend to be preoccupied with what our mate is called to do. So first and foremost in the mind of the husband is... Hey, my wife is to submit to me first and foremost in the mind of the wife is my husband's to love me as Christ loved the church. What should be first and foremost in the mind of the husband is I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. What should be first and foremost in the mind of the wife is I'm to submit to him as unto the Lord. You see, the point is this, you need to focus on what God has called you to do And your mate needs to focus on what God has called them to do. And when you are both focusing on what God has called you to do, that's when it works. As long as I'm waiting for the other one to do what God's told them to do, and that's the the thing that's really taking up my thought process on all this, it's never going to get sorted out. I've got to just stop and say, you know what? This is what God's called me to do, and I am going to do my best by his grace to do that. And when both people do that, that's when marriage is good. That's when it is that good thing that God intended it to be. So now I wanna just give one more point here before we close, but I wanted to just kind of get a bit of a fuller picture of what a godly wife is to aspire to be like and drawing from different places in the New Testament. And and I wanna just take it from Titus this morning, Titus chapter two, uh, verses three through five. Let me read it to you and then I'll briefly comment on each one of these things. So Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is a church, he's an elder, and he's giving instruction for the believers. He says, the older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, submissive to their own husbands. So that's the instruction there. Starts with the older women, presumably married, and then to the younger women who are also presumably married because they love their wives and their children. So real quickly, what does he say? Number one, reverent in behavior. Ladies, reverent in behavior. What does that mean? It simply means this, that, that your life is marked by a consciousness of God, that you're living in the presence of the Lord, that you're, that you're a, a, a godly woman, to simplify it. That's, that's what he's referring to here. Not slanderers. The Greek word here is diabolos. That's the word from which we get uh, devil. And the, the devil means the slanderer. So he says to these women, um, they're to exemplify godliness in in their speech. They're not to be slanderous. They're not to be gossips. And then he says, not addicted to wine. It was not uncommon in biblical times for women to become alcoholics, to become addicted to alcohol, seeking relief from the stress through Uh, those kinds of things. Sometimes today in uh, a woman's stress-filled life, uh, they will turn to some sort of a sedative for relief. Paul says, no, we're not to do that. We're to obviously turn to the Lord. Then he says, teachers of good things. So here are the older women, teachers of good things to the younger women, teaching them what? Teaching them to love their husbands You know, the interesting thing to me is that the Greek word here, phileo, is the word translated love. The wife is to love her husband. But when husbands are told to love their wives, it's the Greek word agape. Now, sometimes the distinction between these words is exaggerated. Um, But it is the Greek word agape that is used of God's love for us, for God so loved the world. But the word is also used of men loving darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So we oftentimes say, well, agape is like this um, unconditional love and so forth. It's not exactly that. It's more just of an intense love because men intensely love darkness rather than light. But it's God's intense love for us that caused him to give his son. That's the love the husband is to have for his wife, like Christ loved the church. But the wife is to phileo the husband. And what this says to me is the, the picture, again, Christ in the church is the model, right? So Christ is the initiator, we are the responder. And so the Bible puts the wife in the, in the position of responder. Like I said earlier, husbands, you want a good marriage? Love your wife. It's that simple. You love her, and she knows you love her, and she's secure in your love. It, it's a good thing. That's the way it works. So wives, love your husbands, phileo your husbands, teaching them to love their husbands, love their children, and then be discreet. The word there means self-controlled, circumspect, careful, uh, not governed by impulse. And then chaste. Chaste is an older kind of a word, you know, but it means pure and it means modest. But then we have this, uh, this term here, homemakers, Homemakers. Now, for some, it's like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding? Homemaker? I got a job. I got a career. Bible says I got to become a homemaker. Well, the word literally means guardians of the home. So a married woman's life, and especially a married woman with children, should Center around her home. It doesn't mean that she can't have things happening outside the home, but oftentimes those things potentially can take uh, away the focus. So you have to be careful of that. Now, of course, there are people who have strong opinions about whether a woman uh, can work or outside of the home. I, I know of one preacher who's very He's very dogmatic that that is absolutely forbidden by scripture. I personally don't think that's the case. Uh, Some women have to work. Of course, a single mother would have to work. Uh, My mom worked my whole life as a kid. Uh, My parents were divorced when I was young. And for a few years, my mom was a single mom and she worked. But then she got married to my stepdad and uh, they needed two incomes. It wasn't enough one income. So she worked my entire life. And sometimes that is the case. And then, of course, there are times when a woman simply chooses to work outside of the home, and the husband's in agreement with that. But the important thing is that those who choose to work must not lose the priority of the home. So guardians of the home. If you're working outside the home as a woman, as a wife, if you have children, make sure that you don't lose the priority of the home. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he says, good, teach them to be good, good Christians, good wives, good moms. And then finally he says, submissive, back to the same word that we started with. Now, the Old Testament as well has several references to the wife and the wife's role, but let me just read a few. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know what? It's true. It's all true. And... There's nothing quite as wonderful as having a spouse. Whether it's your wife or your husband, that you you can trust them. You have absolute confidence in their integrity and their love. Oh, those things are priceless. They're absolutely priceless. Being a wife and a mother, I'll say this in closing is not some second-rate task for women who can't make it at something else, as uh, has been stated by some in the culture. Now, you know, those attitudes are, I think, they definitely are the minority, but quite often the minority has the loudest voice. And this, this is kind of what we see in the culture. But the vast majority of women in our culture Follow whether they know it or not, they follow a biblical model of life as wives and mothers and so forth. And they're happy. It's the way God made it. So marriage and motherhood are a sacred trust to be guarded, cherished, and treasured with all one's heart. A woman who is called to be a wife and a mother ought to go about it with all the zeal and fervency of God's most passionate servants. You know, ladies, you know, sometimes uh, women feel like, well, I want to be a pastor. How come I can't be a pastor? That's discrimination. That's suppression, things like that. Well, there are certainly roles that women uh, can have in churches, but remember, God has made man the head. So to lead a church, that, God's reserved that for the men to do. But there are many other things that women can do. But you know, the greatest, one of the greatest things you could do is be a faithful wife and a mother. Raise up a generation that will follow the Lord. You, you can't do any better than that. That's amazing. And... You know, again, i I just thinking about my wife and thinking about her diligence and raising our kids, and uh, I'm I'm so thankful for that. But it's a high calling. It's a call from God. Now, let me just finalize everything with this. Uh, Some lady came up to me after last service, and she was, you know, she just said, she was kind of broken up, and I just... And, you know, there's a lot of us that are single and we don't need to, we need to hear more about singleness. And I said, well, you know, it's kind of hard to talk on singleness from wives submit to your husbands. It just doesn't really, (laughs) there's there's not much about singleness included in that statement. So, but I said, look, I'm going to get to that. We'll get to that. We're in a series. Be patient. We're going to, we're going to make our way to that. Uh, And so, look, I know, I understand that not everybody is in um, this kind of a situation today. Not everybody's married. Uh, Some are divorced. Um, Some are in marriages that aren't pleasant. I get all of that. But I'm just giving you God's picture. And in some cases, on a personal level, um, this is the general picture. Some of you need to come in for counseling. Some of you need to... uh, really connect with the Lord about getting things sorted out. So, but we're not dealing with all those detailed kind of things. We're just getting the bigger picture of things. But this is it in closing. You know, as we take just these simple commands, like I said before, they're pretty straightforward. They're not real complicated. As we take these and sincerely seek to do them, the end result is good because Marriage is God's good gift, and He wants you to have a good experience, and it's a blessing. And so take that to heart, and let God take that simple truth of the goodness of this gift of marriage. And, and it, it's a good thing to be a wife, and it's a good thing to be a husband, it's a good thing to be a submissive wife, it's a great thing to be a loving husband. And just take those simple things and apply them and watch how good it will get. Lord, thank you for these truths that are tested and tried throughout the ages. And we've just seen multitudes of examples of how you bless those who take your word to heart. And may we be among those who take your word to heart. And Lord, I would pray specifically today for the ladies, the wives here. And especially even for those that might be struggling with some of these things. Help them today to know how good it is to follow your plan and help them to do that. I pray for husbands today. Lord, help us to be faithful to modeling the relationship between you and the church. Help us to be faithful, to love and cherish our wives. And so bless, I pray, each one in Jesus' name.